Is God's kingdom inclusive or exclusive? I think that's a question that we can uh, wrestle with uh, this morning. Uh, Some people would say that God's kingdom, it's inclusive. It is really open to everyone. And some will say that God's kingdom is exclusive, that it's limited to only specific groups of people or selected individuals. Now, some people who say that God's kingdom is exclusive would look at the church, uh, would look at Christians, and, and they would make this, this decision. They would say that Christians, they seem to be very close-minded, they seem to be very opinionated, they seem to be uh, very arrogant in, a, in the way that they speak, and it seems like they know all the answers, they have everything figured out, they think they're better than other people, and, and the way that they would view us uh, is a lot of times the way that we would view the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the Bible, how they were caught in their own bubble of religion, uh, living um, a life that they thought it was holy, but yet it was destructive towards others. And so some people would look at the church and they would say, yeah, God's kingdom is exclusive, meaning it's limited for only certain individuals or selected groups. Some people would say this, especially when they hear the word membership, right? Church membership. Immediately you make the connection. Costco. Can't go in unless you have a membership. I realized Costco recently increased their security, and so they're making sure that every person has a membership uh, card. Uh, That happens if you go to a country club or even a gym membership. Uh, And so because we have this this set idea of of church membership, uh, although when we say church membership, it has nothing to do with exclusive privileges. It has all to do with being a member, the body of Christ. Uh, And yet because of this notion that membership belongs to an exclusive club, we think that the kingdom of God is exclusive. It's only for certain individuals. Now, on the other side, some people would say, no, it's inclusive, meaning that it's open to everyone, and just look at Jesus. Look at how he hangs out with all these different people, that he's loving towards others, he, he interacts with all sorts of people, especially if you look at earlier in this passage, um, in chapter 8, verse 1, it talks about how Jesus is going from city to city, he's traveling from village to village, and it says in verse 1, he is proclaiming and bringing the good news of God's kingdom. And he's doing this to, to, for everyone. He's sharing the good news to, to everyone. And the people who are following Jesus, that's quite a list. It, it, it says on this list that um, you have 12 uh, pointing to the 12 apostles. We looked at those 12 apostles, uh, these random guys who are collected to do God's ministry. And then you have a number of women who are following Jesus. And they're playing a very pivotal role in supporting the ministry of Jesus. You have a woman like uh, Mary Magdalene, who was the first person who, who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. She was someone who was healed from all these evil spirits. You have someone like Joanna, who is the wife of Chusa, most likely a, a foreign person, a Gentile person. Uh, she works in the household of Herod, so she is this Gentile lady um, who is a, a working person. You have Susanna, who uh, is also mentioned. So this is something that you normally don't see in first century Judaism, because first century Judaism is all about the grown men. Like, if you are following a teacher, you have to be a man, you have to be an adult. Uh, children were not allowed to follow a rabbi. Women were not allowed to follow a rabbi, especially if you are a Gentile, a non-Jew. For sure, you are not allowed to follow a rabbi. And yet, you see Jesus, the ultimate rabbi, allowing all these different people follow him and be part of his ministry. 
And this is why it says in verse 4, a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town, they were coming to Jesus. In other words, Jesus was sharing the good news to everyone and from everywhere people were coming to see Jesus. And in this moment, when everyone is there, in the midst of a crowd, Jesus shares a story, a small story. And it goes like this. Um, Look at verse 5, it says this. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. So this is a very simple parable, uh, a very simple story, especially if you were living in first century Galilee. Uh, you would see this all the time, people sowing seeds. It's, it was a culture that was driven by agriculture. Um, and the picture is, is this. When you are thinking about sowing seeds, you're thinking about a nice garden with smooth soil, uh, with, with uh, fertilizers and, and rich soil that is soft, and, and you slightly just place the seed inside of that soil. You water it, and then it will grow. Um, or some of you might be thinking, when you think about sowing seeds, these big tractors that would plow the ground, and they would scatter all these seeds, and so it would produce a great harvest. But if you go to Israel you're going to realize that the ground is, is really a f- full of rocks, uh, that there's not really a soil that's good for farming. And yet, people still had to produce uh, different fruits or, 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 or different uh, grains. And so what people would do is they would do this thing that's called uh, broadcast sowing. So they would throw these seeds in a broad manner, uh, hoping that it would land on good soil because it was impossible to simply take out all the rocks because there were so many rocks what they would do is they would scatter all these seeds. And so it makes sense that in today's parable, some fall on the path, right, the, where there's a lot of foot traffic, uh, the trails that are really hard. Some fall on, on the rock. And if you look at Matthew and Mark, it says rocky soil, meaning that on the surface, it looks okay. But underneath that thin layer of soil, you have this, this big rock. And so the, the seed cannot penetrate that rock. And then you have some soil that has a lot of thorn bushes. And then lastly, you have good soil that is producing a lot of uh, good fruit uh, that is yielding a lot of production. And so the story is quite simple. It's a scene that everyone would be familiar with. At the same time, the conclusion of this story is quite odd. Because after sharing this everyday story, Jesus says this in verse 8, summarizing uh, what he just said. He changes the the, the volume of of his voice. It says, he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's a very odd statement. Does it mean that in the midst of the crowd, there are people who have no ears, and so they can't hear what's going on? Um, Is he concerned about the physical health of people? Uh, I don't think that's really the case. Uh, Jesus, he's, he's really addressing a very specific issue. He's saying that if you have ears, listen. Like, understand this. Uh, there's a difference between hearing and listening. That's what Jesus is saying. Every one of you are hearing this voice. Every one of you heard this parable. But I want you to understand and, 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 and digest it. That's what he's saying. 
there's a difference between hearing and listening. And especially if you have a child and if you work with children before, you know that this is the case. Because you can be like three feet away from a child. You can call their name time after time and time again. And if they don't like what you're about to say, they're not going to look at you. They're not going to respond to you. And so what do you say after calling their name a couple times? Hey, listen. Or, or why aren't you responding to me? Like, we're not concerned about the, the ability for this, this, this child to hear. We're not concerned that somehow the, the, uh, the auditory system of this child is broken and damaged, so we need to take this child to, to a doctor. No, that's not, what we're, that's not what we're concerned about. What we're concerned about is that this child is not paying attention. They're not responding in the way that they should respond. In the same way, I think she is saying in today's passage that if you have ears to hear, you need to respond. Listen and respond. And this is where we understand something about the kingdom of God, a a very secret of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is not about exclusiveness or inclusiveness. It's about responsiveness. The kingdom of God, the debate is not, is it inclusive or exclusive? That's not really the debate. The kingdom of God is about responding, responsiveness. If you can hear me, Respond. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's what this parable is all about. It's about responding. And to drive this point home, Jesus, he says in verse 9, as the disciples are coming up to Jesus, and they're confused, they ask Jesus, what does this parable mean? And it says in verse 10, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that see they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And so Jesus here is quoting from Isaiah 6. When God calls the prophet Isaiah, he says, I want you to go to my people to share this message, to tell them to repent. But what God says to Isaiah is this. Although you go and talk to these people, they're not going to respond to you. They're not going to respond to to your word. So don't be discouraged. Uh, he, He gives Isaiah a heads up in the same way. I think what Jesus is doing in today's passage is he's aware that some people are going to hear this message and yet they're not going to respond, but others, they will listen and respond. And so Jesus says the secrets of God's kingdom is given to those who are able to listen, but for those who cannot hear or understand or, or listen, it's concealed. Uh, it's, it's a parable. It's a mystery. It's a puzzle. And now he goes into this parable, this story. It says in verse 11, The first thing I want you to know is the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. So the seed in in the story that Jesus just told, it represents um, God's word, the Bible, or it could also represent the gospel, which is the essence of God's word. And regardless, it's talking about God's word. It's coming from God, meaning that the sower is probably God. In this case, it is Jesus. The, the other thing that you see in verse 12 is this, that the soil represents the heart. The soil, it represents the heart. So the seed is the word of God. The soil is, is our hearts. It says in verse 12, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the first type of soil, if you're taking notes, it's this. It's, it's the hard soil. The first type of soil, it's talking about a hard heart, a hard and indifferent heart, a heart that is so hardened that the seed cannot penetrate one bit. It just remains on the ground. 
And what happens quite quickly is that you have a bird that comes and snatches the seed. And so the seed is taken away. And, and what Jesus says is this bird is actually Satan. It represents the work of the devil. And so this is quite confusing, right? I mean, why all of a sudden do you bring in Satan into all this? But one thing that's really interesting uh, in verse 12 is this. just speaks of, of salvation, and he gives us what's important about salvation. This is what you need to really know uh, when it comes to salvation. Now, there's this big debate about the order of salvation, right, between Calvinists and, and Arminians and, uh, and, and how does this all work out. But I think the Bible gives us a clear order of salvation. Uh, Jesus gives us a clear order of salvation. In verse 12, it says this. Then, uh, along, one along the path uh, are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So notice those three words, heard, believe, and saved. So the way that you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the way that you receive the gift of salvation is this. You hear the word of God. You respond to the word of God in belief. And the third thing is that you are saved. That's that's how it's described in, in Romans 10. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. And so that's why it's important for us to go to different places, to share the gospel. I mean, we can pray for people and hope that God will transform their hearts, but unless there's a seed that is sown on people's hearts, unless someone verbally communicates the mystery of the gospel, talks about Jesus Christ, they're never going to understand the mystery of salvation. Especially when I was in Egypt, uh, you know, you meet a lot of Muslims who encounter Jesus through a dream in supernatural ways. And yet what they would say is, yeah, something is supernatural, but, but it's so confusing. And, and what would happen is, although the dream is there and they feel like, okay, something's, something's happening in my life, until someone comes and explains that dream, until someone explains that dream and points people to Jesus, they would never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what we see is that it is important for us to communicate the truth, to communicate the gospel, Hearing is super important. And then you have believing. And when it says believing, uh, to, to believe is not just you agree and intellectually understand that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. It means that you, you give your life to him. It means that you make him your king, your Lord. You trust him with everything that you have. It's a lifestyle. You are giving your life to Jesus Christ. And when you do this, when you hear, when you believe, the last thing that happens is, is you are saved. Notice that it doesn't mean that you save yourself. It says you are saved. By someone, you are saved. Now, let's put this into an order. Step one is you hear. Step two is that you believe. Step three is that you are saved. Now, the distance between step two and three is incredibly small. And the reason why I say that is in the Bible, it says everyone who believes, they are saved. They believe in Jesus Christ. God's grace is sufficient. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross is sufficient that everyone who believes, regardless of who you are, where you come from, if you simply place your trust and you follow Jesus, you believe in him, you will be saved. The distance between step two and three is quite small. The distance between step one and two is enormous. It is massive. Everyone who believes, they are saved, but not everyone who hears actually believes. Only a few who hear come to believing. And you know what the enemy does? 
he knows that he can't do anything about step two and three. The moment someone placed their trust in Jesus Christ, it's a done deal. Like, there's nothing that the enemy can do to snatch someone out of Jesus' hand. What the enemy can do is walk into step one and distort our understanding of God's word. And that's what we see from the very beginning in the garden. Satan comes in, and instead of going against everything that that God has done, what he simply says is, did God actually say? Like, are you certain that that's God's word? And the way that he, 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 he attacks this first step is, is so subtle, right? It's not like God is a liar, you shouldn't believe what he says. Or Satan, when he works in our lives, he doesn't say, well, Pastor James, he's, everything he's preaching is bogus, or, or everything that you're reading today in your Bible is, is false. No, that's not how he works. He just works in subtle ways. He says, what you read there is quite interesting. What Pastor James has to share is quite interesting. God's word is, okay, that's, 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 that's pretty good, but you don't have to stick to every single word of it but you don't have to make it ultimate. You don't have to make it the final decision or just judgment that, 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 that you have when it comes to living life. You, you just make it a part of your life, not everything. And so what happens is he's, tries, he's trying to create this big gap between hearing and believing. He's okay with us hearing. What he doesn't want us to do is actually listen so that we would believe. And I think one subtle way that he does this is this. You heard a sermon today? That's great. You can think about it later. Like, you know, you have every intention to be a disciple of Jesus, but just not today. Like, you're kind of too busy right now when you're a teenager. Kind of too busy when you're in college. Like, once you get married, I'll busy with kids. Like, you, it's going to happen some way down the road. Like, there'll be a day where you ultimately give your life to Jesus. You faithfully follow him with all that you give, you have. You're going to give faithfully. You're going to uh, serve faithfully. You're going to do all these things. You're going to trust Jesus for all that you have. At the same time, that day is coming. It's a future reality. I hope in that day, but, but that day never comes. There's some people who remain in this, this hearing part for 10 years, 20 years, and they're wondering, why, why don't, I, don't I see visible change in my life? And it's because... They have this hard soil, this hard heart, where they simply think that they can keep God's word on the surface and not do anything about it. And what happens is every single time that happens, the devil comes in and snatches it away. And, and I think that's the scary part of all this, that when you don't spend time in God's word and honor God's word, it's not just a matter of you staying in a neutral position. You are slowly drifting away according to the devil's plan. And so it's harder and harder for you to really come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. So the first soil is a hard and indifferent soil, a heart that is apathetic. It's not that you're just against God. You just feel nothing. It's like, that's cool, but it's, it's not that big of a deal. The second type of soil we see in verse 13 is this, and the one on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. So the initial response is great. But these have no root they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So the second type of soil is this. It's a shallow, superficial heart. It's a shallow, superficial heart. Again, initial response, great. Like, and this is what happens when, when people initially receive God's word. They, they love it. They, they're passionate about it. Uh, and yet what happens is, is when life gets really hard, when you face a test, when, when 
the sun is, is hot. It says in Matthew or in Mark, it talks about how the troubles of persecution comes. When life gets really, really difficult, you just fade away. You fall apart. And so you're so superficial, shallow in your faith. There's, there are no roots. Uh, and the main reason why that's happening is because your faith, your foundation is not the word of God. Um, it might be an emotion. It might just be an experience. And I'm not saying emotion or experience is, is not good. I think if it's driven by uh, the work of the Spirit, by the Word of God, I think those are byproducts of, of, of that things that happen when you were falling in love with Jesus. But if your faith is simply based on an experience, a one-time experience that you had at a retreat, a one-time emotion that you, you experience at a certain moment in your life, then then you might be okay when everything is good and life is great, but the moment life gets really, really difficult, your first response is going to be, let me walk away. And so you have this superficial, shallow heart. And some people might ask the question, is this person a believer or a non-believer? And I mean, I don't know to what degree, like how we can apply this, but one thing that is true from First John is that when people don't last towards the end, it tells you that they were never a believer to begin with. And so you have the first soil that is so hard that it can't withstand the, the attack of the enemy. A second type of soil that is so shallow that it can't withstand the trials of this life. And the third type of soil we see in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So uh, just like the second soil, initial response, great. This soil actually produces some fruit, right, some level of fruit. The problem with the fruit is that the fruit don't mature. Something is off about this soil, and what's off is that it has all these different weeds, the, these, these um, bushes, and, and all these thorns, and those things are, are just taking all the nutrients of the heart, nutrients of, of the soil, and it's, it's distracting uh, the seed from growing. And Jesus says that these thorn bushes, they're like the, the cares, the worries of the world, the riches of the world, and the pleasures of life. So three things that you can consider as thorn bushes, things that would compete against the, the seed when it comes to the nutrients of the soil. The first thing is the cares, the worries of this life. And that is probably your worries about your work, about your business, about your family, about your health, about schools. Maybe even in this moment, you're thinking, hey, what am I going to do during my summer? Uh, you're, you're constantly busy and worried about what's going to happen. Maybe it's sports, uh, all these different things uh, that interrupt your life, that take away the love that you have for Jesus, uh, the passion that you have, and it hinders you from, from being responsive to his word. So the worries, the cares of this life. The second thing is the riches of this life. And we know that the Bible is not against just riches in general. Um, riches are not inherently sinful. Uh, we, we know that. But they can make bad idols. That they can take over our hearts. That's why Jesus says you can't serve both money and God. And so he's concerned about our love for money. That's the thing. Like having money is not the problem. But if we fall in love with money to the point that that is taking over our hearts that it's hindering us from really living uh, obedient, passionate life for Jesus Christ, then what happens is, at the end of the day, we're not going to produce godly fruit. And the third type of, of worries or concerns is the pleasures of life. That's another thorn bush that exists in our hearts. 
all that we enjoy, the entertainment, the Netflix, the gaming, um, even food, relationship, friendships. I'm not saying that these things are bad inherently. These are good gifts that God has given you to enjoy. But if you make good things in your life, ultimate things, and you've replaced God with all those good things, and you are so distracted by those good things that you don't have time for the giver of those good things, then you have a problem. And that's what Jesus is saying, is that when your heart is so occupied and distracted, and I think we live in a culture where busyness is praised. Like, when you say, I don't have much going on, it's like, man, what are you doing in your life? Like, why are you wasting your life, right? When in reality, you're just trying to live according to this godly rhythm. Sleep when you can sleep. Rest when you can rest. God said, like, to those I love, I, I give sleep. You're not a machine that can work 24-7. Like, you got to get some rest sometimes. You got to remember the Lord sometimes. And so, it's, it's, it's talking about this lifestyle that is so distracted, so occupied with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world that they have no place for God. A preoccupied, distracted heart. That's the third type of soil. A preoccupied, a distracted heart that has no room for God. And I think this is probably one of the most dangerous things in America, especially for Western Christians, that we crumble a lot of times, not under the trials of life, but under the blessings of life. The blessings of life often is the thing that takes us away from being faithful to God's word. So three things. Do you notice that, that the attack of Satan, the trials of this world, and the worries internally, we have an enemy that is sinful, that is evil. We also live in a sinful, evil world. And also internally, we have this evil, sinful nature within us. And so we are prone to, to be like these soils. And, and I don't know about you, when I was reading this passage, I was like, I was deeply worried. As much as I want to say, like, these are not, what, these are not soils that, that are happening in my heart. Like, I can see bits and pieces of every piece of soil in my heart. But here's the good news. It doesn't end with three soils. It doesn't have to be that way. You have a fourth soil. And praise be to God that we have this fourth soil because God is saying that it is actually possible to have good soil, to bear much fruit when, when the seed, when the word of God comes to your heart. Look at verse 15. It says this, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So a lot can be said about this good soil, but two things characterize this, this soil. The first one is endurance. Good soil is marked by endurance, perseverance. We see that, that this soil produces fruit. So good soil it endures and it produces fruit. So a true believer, a genuine believer, is someone who is marked by fruit-bearing and also endurance. Someone who produces fruit and also someone who lasts. I think that's so important. A lot of times, we compare ourselves with other Christians and we wonder, where are we in the height of our Christianity? But what God is more concerned about is not how fast you grow or how high you can go, but he's concerned about finishing the race. He wants you to go a long way. He wants you to not just run fast in your Christian life, but to finish the race with endurance, with perseverance, with faithfulness. That's why when God speaks to the, 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 the servants that have been good, he also says good and faithful servants. It's not about just performance. It's about faithfulness, perseverance. 
that, that's, that's, that shows us the genuineness of our faith. And so we have these four different types of soils. Um, now some people might say, well, Pastor James, don't you have this infant stage of Christianity where people are drinking the milk of, of God's word and they're slowly growing? And absolutely, I believe, you know, that's true. In 1 Peter 2, you, t- you see the words of Peter encouraging people to really grow first and be disciple first, submerge yourself in God's presence. At the same time, there is no category in the Bible for a non-fruit-bearing Christian. Uh, you, you be a Christian for years and years, and if there's no genuine transformation or fruit that's being produced, if you are always in and out, in and out, in, out, in and out, and there's no, um, there's no perseverance, endurance, then it might be that your faith is in not the good soil, but on one of these other soils. Because John 15, Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. If you abide in me, if you are a Christian who is walking with me, sooner or later, you will bear much fruit. Now, again, I think the metaphor of, of, of gardening and, and harvesting, I think that tells us that there are seasons that are very difficult that you have to endure, but also there are seasons where you're going to produce a lot of fruit. Uh, there are seasons that are hard to endure, but there's seasons where you will thrive in your faith. But in the highs and the lows, what you remember is that your ultimate goal is being faithful to Jesus Christ. And as you abide in him, he is going to empower you to bear much fruit. So here's the big idea, the conclusion of today's story. Only those who respond to the king go into the kingdom. Only those who respond to the king, Jesus, Go into the kingdom. The kingdom is not about being inclusive or exclusive. It's about responsiveness. Only those who respond to the word of God in the appropriate way, they get to go into the kingdom. Now, one thing that you cannot neglect is this. Although there's different types of soils, there's one seed. And although the soils that exist, you know, you're concerned about these soils, but if this seed lands on this good soil, Notice that without failure, this seed is so powerful, it is so explosive, it is so transformative, that once it penetrates the heart, it's going to change everything inside. That's the power of the seed. And, and, and it is true and faithful. And that's what the Bible is telling us. That as long as we have the right posture, the right heart, God is going to do the rest. That he's going to plant this seed. Jesus is willing to plant this seed in our hearts. And the other good news is this, that although we don't have the ability to change our own hearts because we are really broken and wicked inside, God is the best heart surgeon that we have, that he can transform our hearts, that, that he calls us not just to be upgraded people, but he calls us to be new creations in Christ. He's going to transform us in a way that he says he's going to give us a new heart. And this is why Psalm 51.10, after David falls to the ground, he committed adultery and murder, like sins that cannot be forgiven according to the law. David falls on his face and he says to God, create in me a clean heart. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Because he knows that when he has a clean, steadfast heart, that God is going to renew him and restore him. And this is why Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, God says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
So two things. If you are still living with a hard heart, a, a, a heart that does not respond to God's word, the first thing that you can do is pray. Ask for God's favor. Ask for his mercy and grace to soften your heart so that things can actually make sense, so that you can respond in the right way. And notice that God is willing to do that if you, you are willing to trust him. The other thing is that if you have the right heart, then make sure that you're making yourself available for the seed, for the word of God to grow inside of your heart. So the key thing today is responding to Jesus. And when you respond to him in the right way, that he's going to lead you to salvation and to his kingdom. Now, uh, every Monday morning, I, I, there's something that's going on uh, these days. Uh, at 7 a.m., men are gathering to play basketball in our ministry. Like, I, I, I thought that this was going to be a one-time deal, right? But every single week, people are gathering at Export in Merrifield. And the first time, you know, I, like, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big gym guy. Right? I get intimidated uh, when I go to the gym, so that's why I stay on the cardio machine. And then I, I don't go anywhere near the weights, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm very insecure when it comes to that. Uh, but so I'm asked, so uh, Pastor James, you want to play ball? And, and uh, of course, it's Pastor Joe who's, who's telling me, hey, you got to come, you got to come. And so like, I'm saying, okay, uh, but just know that I don't have a membership. Like, I, I don't know how I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in. And and because, like, if you've been to a gym, they check your ID, they check your membership every time you go in, and so only people who have this appropriate membership can go in. But then Pastor Joe smiles at me and says, well, I have premium membership, <laughs> right? And my privilege is that I not only go in, but I get to bring in one guest. And he says, I wanted to use that on you. Uh, of course, later on, he's using it on other college students. Uh, <laughs> and, and, but the beauty of that is this. Although I didn't have what it takes to go into that gym, uh, because of the grace that was extended to me, I was able to enjoy all that was in the gym. Here's the thing. Jesus is not just a member of God's kingdom. He owns it. He's the one who has the privilege to not just invite one person or limited amount of people, but he can bring endless people in as long as people are willing to respond to him. As long as you're willing to show up on that door in front of export. Like, you know, and, and I remember that day, like, I wasn't nervous at all when I was at the front door of export. Like, if I, had, no, I didn't have a membership, I would be like, how do I sneak in into this place? But I was just waiting at that front door. Pastor Joe walks from the gym, comes out, greets me with a big smile, dabs me up, and says, I got you. <laughs> and, and, and I just go in. In the same way, I think as long as you are willing to respond to Jesus and show up and respond in the right way, he'll dab you up and he'll say, I got you. Come with me on this journey. So respond to your king who is loving, kind, all-knowing, but also all-powerful. He is sufficient and he is waiting for you. So respond to him today. Amen? Let's pray.